The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Markets holding at or near record highs as February's rally looks to be taking a bit of a breather today. Futures are marginally lower this morning. Not losing steam, though. Shares of Walt Disney and Company on the rise this morning after its quarterly results smashing Disney Plus subscription expectations. Shares of Bumble also on the rise this morning on Move on some buzz over its trading debut. And the action at the center of the short squeeze mania as of late. Apparently now the focus of probes by federal prosecutors looking for potential criminal misconduct and indoor dining. Yes, it's returning to the Big Apple as restaurants get some reprieve during the tough winter dining season. It's Friday, February 12th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning, TGIF. I'm Dominic Chu, in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Here is how your money and the global markets are setting their day up. Stock futures, as you can see, pointing to some marginal losses at the opening bell. The Dow is implied lower by roughly just 50 points. The S&P down by about 8 to 9, and the Nasdaq lower by 20 points as well here. This after the Dow dipped slightly just yesterday, pulling back from its record high, while the S&P and Nasdaq eked out some gains to hit new highs. The major indices are on pace to notch a very positive week here, through the, though the strong rally at the start of the month seems to be just losing a little bit of steam, as you can see here, green across the screen for that time frame. We also want to get a check on the price of oil, extending losses after OPEC cut its demand forecast and the International Energy Agency, IEA, said that the market was still oversupplied. Right now, WTI U.S.-based crude price is $57.79, about three-quarters of 1% decline there. Ice Brent crude world benchmark price is $60.77, or about one-half of 1% declines there as well. And also want to get a check on the price of Bitcoin, other cryptocurrencies. Remember, Bitcoin hit record highs just in trading yesterday above the 48,000 per token mark. Right now, we're holding just about 2% lower at 47,425 for Bitcoin on the Coinbase platform. The Ethereum ecosystem, Ether prices on Coinbase right now down about 2%, 1766.61, the last trade there. Let's now go worldwide. Major indexes in China, Hong Kong, South Korea, Singapore, all closed today for the beginning of the Chinese Lunar New Year holiday. The Nikkei resuming trading with just a slight loss, as you can see, they're down about one-tenth of one percent. So happy Chinese New Year to everybody out there who celebrates. Now to the early trade in Europe. You can see some of those moves here in Europe. The German DAX off by one-half of one percent. The CAC in France relatively flat. And the FTSE 100 relatively flat as well. The real underperformer so far today has been the IBEX 35 in Spain, down about one percent, although that's off the session lows. Now to those quarterly results from Disney, getting a big boost from streaming services. Frank Holland has more on that and your morning's other top stories. Good Friday morning, Frank. 
Hey, good morning to you, Dom. Disney shares are on the rise this morning following those results. The company reporting surprise earnings of 32 cents a share, its first quarterly profit since early last year, revenue also topping expectations. Disney said it now has almost 95 million paid subscribers to its Disney Plus streaming service, really helping to offset losses in other segments affected by the pandemic, such as theme parks. Speaking on the earnings call, CEO Bob Chapek laid out the road ahead for reopening those parks. We have no doubt that when we reopen up in parks that were closed or increase the capacity, that we'll have some level of social distancing uh, and mask wearing uh, uh, you know, for the remainder of this year. That's our expectation. But I believe that Dr. Fauci said earlier today that he hopes that there's vaccines for everyone who wants them by April this year. If that happens, that is a game changer. And that could accelerate our expectations and uh, give people the confidence that they need to come back to the parks. Shares of Bumble also on the rise this morning following its trading debut yesterday. The stock climbing more than 63 percent in its very first day on the markets. The company closed trading with a market cap of about $7.7 billion. And President Biden has announced that his administration has secured another 200 million doses of COVID-19 vaccines from Pfizer and from Moderna. That breaks down to 100 million from each company. The Biden administration saying it will have enough supply to inoculate 300 million Americans by the end of July. And shares of Pfizer and Moderna both trading higher this morning. Dom, back over to you. All right. Good news on the virus front there, Frank. Thank you very much for that. Back to the markets now. Your next guest says analysts have underestimated the strength of this earnings season. Profit growth is up 3%, and the percentage of beats in companies that have reported is about 17%. She says that coupled with improving jobs numbers in late January, reopening measures already underway, it's leading to some real positive market momentum. We are talking about Sylvia Jablonski. She's the co-founder and chief investment officer at Defiance ETFs. And Sylvia, it seems as though people always underestimate earnings, but why does it stand out this time around, given the time frame around the pandemic and everything else we've seen? Good morning, Dom, and happy Friday. Yeah, I think, you know, it's particularly exciting and, and um, you know, bodes optimistically for the market this time around because so many of these companies were actually changed and sort of shut down during the pandemic when it, when it hit in March. But I think what happened is that a lot of companies cost cut you know, they digitalized and they found ways to compete in this new sort of environment. So while areas like the service sector certainly hit, you know, you have these bright spots like Disney and then also the top fang names. I mean, they they absolutely crushed it. So I think that, you know, any company that was sort of like online streaming communications, consumer discretionary and had a platform, a technology for uh, consumers to consume their services did quite well. And I think that that recovery and this earnings boost is is a bright sign for the rest of the year and for positive GDP growth to come. So, so you're saying for the rest of the year? I mean, we're we're only in February right now, Sylvia. So, so, so these themes, yeah. the, these these trends that you're seeing, it seems to me a lot of pricing has already happened. They've they've already been bid up quite substantially for many of the companies that you mentioned here. How much more is needed for them to keep that kind of trajectory, or do we level off a little bit? You know, I, I think that they've been they've been bid up until they haven't, right? So we've seen um, we've seen a lot of these companies continue to grow. So take the Fangs, for example. You know, in the beginning of the year, we were talking about 
at the highest valuations, it's time to rotate out and, you know, they continue to grow through earnings. So I think that there's, there's positive momentum in the market to come just in general, because fiscal policy is so strong. Monetary policy will remain strong. You know, we'll have more liquidity in the market than ever. Um, consumers will be getting back to life in America. And I just think that the overall recovery of the market will be positive for the names that are continuing to do continue to do well now and the names that have been sort of beat up. So I just do expect this to be a positive year, you know, albeit with volatility in the near term, we've seen these days like, you know, the GameStop phenomenon we saw a couple of weeks ago and recent pullbacks in some of the top growth names. But in my mind, those are great opportunities to buy on the dip too. So, so it sounds, so, so financial advisors will call that the barbell, right? It's go with the things right. that are doing really well, right? That the trend is your friend, the big cap stocks and whatever. And then also go for some of the ones that are beaten up right now. If that's the barbell approach you're taking, what exactly then do you put in either side of those barbells, the, the heavy side, so to speak, between the handles or, uh, you know, outside the handles? Yeah, great question. So I think, you know, I, I think when you allocate to quality names and, and, you know, whether you keep your investments in the FANG names like the Apples, the Amazons, the Microsofts, um, or you pick them up on the dips, you know, we've seen a couple of pullback days. There are opportunities to get back in. You know, if you're a financial advisor, you never get fired for having quality and cash on your balance sheet, right? These are good company names that continue to grow and return. Um, and then in terms of the other side of it, you know, look at the airlines, the hotels, the casinos, you know, um, in your top five, the, the New York restaurants are opening back up, right? So that whole industry has been impacted so highly. And I think that once we get life back into America and people are sort of out there consuming, um, you might see some growth in those services. And thirdly, don't forget about innovation and disruption. You know, you've got SPACs, you've got the 5G theme, you've got machine learning, you have all of these really exciting technologies in the market now, um, e-vehicles, you know, fuel cell, there, there's so many different places to look for returns now. All right, Sylvie Jablonski with some of the big themes out there for 2021. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. Thanks, Tom, you too. All right, now to the impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump. His legal team will kick off its closing arguments later on today after House managers rested their case of the former president's role in the January 6th riots on Capitol Hill. NBC's Susan McGinnis joins us now from Washington with more on that. And, and Susan, this is an interesting development here. Where do we now go? Well, good morning, Dom. That's right. The Trump legal team gets its shot at the floor of the Senate today, laying out its case for an acquittal for Donald Trump. This is after the House managers. Those are the prosecutors in their case took their final shot at trying to convince senators uh, late yesterday that Donald Trump bears responsibility for inciting that attack on the Capitol on January 6th. And they tried to drive home their main points that former President Trump sent those rioters. If it were not for Donald Trump, there would have been no attack. They say he encouraged the the uh, violence. And that was evident throughout his presidency, not just on January the Six and that he never, ever condemned violence after the fact. They also say if he is reelected, he could incite violence again. Uh, the defense is not expected to really refute too many of the arguments that have been made over the last couple of days. They plan to continue calling the trial overall unconstitutional to defend former President Trump's uh, freedom of speech. They're going to call the whole thing political. Um, and they are so confident of an acquittal, and rightfully so. They plan to only take several hours today to make their arguments and, Dom, that could pave the way for a vote as early as tomorrow. This whole thing could be over by the end of the weekend. All right, Susan McGinnis at NBC, thank you very much for that. We appreciate it. Have a nice weekend. You too. When we come back on the show, PayPal weighing in on the current crypto craze, what the company's leaders are saying about their plans for potential adoption of crypto. Plus, 
The stocks you need to watch, including one fintech company under pressure. Following its first quarterly report as a public company, there's a big hint. And the stories you'll be talking about in the day ahead, including Taylor Swift making her first moves to regain that big control of her music library. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good Friday morning, Philip. Good Friday morning to you, Dom. A deadly scene in Fort Worth, Texas on Thursday after cars and trucks collided on sheets of ice. More than 100 cars were involved in the collision. At least six people were killed and dozens more injured. Broken glass and twisted metal stretched for nearly a mile. Forecasters and police warn conditions will get even worse over the next several days. Tokyo 2020 Olympics chief Yoshiro Mori resigned this morning, leaving the post vacant with just five months to go until the summer games. Mori's departure comes after a global outcry over sexist comments he made earlier this month, implying that women talk too much. And finally, jazz legend Chick Corea has died. Corea began his career in the 1960s and worked alongside Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock. He was nominated for 65 Grammy Awards and won 23 of them. He also won three Latin Grammys. According to a statement on Correa's Facebook page, he died Tuesday from a rare form of cancer. Chick Correa was 79 years old. Dom, back to you. All right, Philip Mena, thank you very much for those news headlines. Have a nice weekend, sir. You too. Indoor dining resumes in New York City starting today. While eateries will be allowed to welcome guests inside, they will only be allowed a 25% capacity for the time being as you look at a live shot of New York City right now. For more on what this means for the city's embattled restaurant business, I'm joined by Sanjay LaForest, owner of Privé Group and restaurants Casa del Toro and Le Privé. Sanjay, this is a big step. How much more needs to be done and how, how important is it for this type of opening to go successfully for the rest of the restaurant industry in New York City? First and foremost, thank you for having me, Don. The hospitality industry is the heart of New York City. That means that at 25%, it's great that we're opening at that, that amount, but we need to be at 50% very soon. Without the, with the ever-changing laws and the mandates that are currently imposed on us, restaurants won't survive at 25% capacity. So 25% is, uh, again, a starting point. I, I say this because I'm also a, re- a resident of the tri-state area, and, and I, I'm not in New York City, 
but I've been to restaurants where it's a little bit more seating capacity. It's just an evolution. How quickly do you need to get past that 25% in order for the restaurants to stay viable in this kind of environment? I would hope that it's within the next couple of weeks to a month. Well, the problem is that the infection rate is currently at 7.5%. And on Long Island, which is tri-state as well, um, it's, ten, it's a 10% infection rate, but they're serving at 50%. So I don't understand why New York City is the one who's, it's at the detriment of all the restaurant owners for us to open at 25%. We should be open at 50% as soon as possible. What, what steps are being taken right now, Sanjay, on, on your end in your restaurants? How, how do diners go to a place like yours and, and say, hey, I feel safe. I can eat indoors and not feel like it's going to be any kind of a real issue for me. What's being done from a logistical and facility standpoint to make things the safest and most enjoyable for the 25 percent capacity that you do have? Well, Dom, this is the second time we're opening indoor dining at 25%. So we're implementing all these protocols. One of the things that we do, we serviced our HVAC units so more air is circulating. We installed air curtains so that hot 90-degree air is blown down in people's clothes upon entering. These are things that the state does not mandate. Aside from that, we're doing this all the things that the state mandates where employees have to wear masks at all times. People are socially distanced at six feet all chairs and tables are sanitized at all times um, before and after guests sit down. So I, the list goes on is the amount of things that we're doing to keep people safe. But the infection rate is caused by home gatherings. Seventy four percent of the infection rate is caused by home gatherings, whereas one point four percent of the infection rate was caused by restaurants when we originally closed uh, indoor dining in the first place. How important is government assistance for your business directly, for your employees, unemployment insurance, uh, enhanced benefits with regard to kind of making up for lost income. How much of that has been key to you staying in business and and how important is it for those types of programs to continue for your restaurant and the industry overall to stay viable, especially in places like New York City? For the restaurant industry and the hospitality industry, for us to be viable It is extremely important. I mean, currently, the only government aid we're receiving, yes, we are receiving the PPP, but that is a loan. It's a loan, and it's a loan until it's forgiven. And one of the core stipulations of the PPP is that 60% is to to be used towards payroll. How can we use 60% towards payroll when we're only allowed to open at 25%? We're currently only generating 10% of the revenue that we were generating in 2019. The other thing that the state has allowed us to do, and they've given us a pandemic surcharge that we're allowed to charge our guests, a 10% pandemic surcharge. So I'm charging clients, and this is leaving a bad taste in clients' mouth. I, I, I don't do it. I could easily raise my price at uh, 10%, and it's, it's not, we don't have much help at this juncture. All right. So, so before we let you go, wh- one final kind of point here. If you take a look at the way the restaurant business is playing out right now, If you look at the way things are moving trajectory wise, is it safe to say that takeout and delivery type orders will remain a big part of the restaurant business for the foreseeable future? I would think so. Trajectory wise, I believe that it it will be the majority of the 
profitability for restaurants will be through takeout and delivery orders, unfortunately. But I believe New York City is ready to open. All right. Sanjay LaForest at Le Privé. Thank you very much for joining us here and good luck. And please keep us posted on those developments on your end. Thank you for All right. Still ahead on the show, President Biden set to meet with governors and mayors today on the need for more virus aid. Speaking of, our own Elon Moy breaks down why many of the worst case financial projections for states are not actually playing out. That's probably a good sign. And of course, February is Black History Month and we are honoring some of our CNBC contributors. Here is family and relationship therapist Dr. George James with his advice for the next generation. You know, if I had the opportunity to give advice to the next generation of black Americans, this is what I would say. I never believed in financial limits uh, that people tried to put on me, whether it was because of my profession, or because of my race, or whether it because my family didn't have money growing up. So don't limit yourself. Don't limit to what people say to you or what they believe in you. Believe that you can accomplish and do whatever you need to do for yourself financially. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Stocks looking to notch another winning week as the February rally appears to be losing just a little bit of momentum. Disney shares rising this morning following its quarterly results and more strong streaming numbers. We'll talk to one top analyst about whether the company can keep that trend intact. And federal prosecutors looking for potentially potential market manipulation, market manipulation tied to the trading involving those short squeeze stocks like GameStop and AMC. It's Friday, February 12th, 2021, the start of Chinese New Year. And you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. And here is how your money and investments are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. As you can see, we're pulling back from record high levels. The Dow is currently implied lower by roughly 50 points. The S&P would drop by just around 8 to 9 points at the opening bell. And the Nasdaq down by roughly 19 if these futures moves hold into the opening bell for cash equities trading. Now, this is all after the Dow dipped slightly yesterday, pulling back from its record highs while the S&P 500 and Nasdaq eked out gains to hit new highs of their own. The major indices are now on pace to notch a positive week, though that strong rally at the start of this month seems to be losing just a little bit of steam, as you can see there. Also want to get a check on the price of Bitcoin, other cryptocurrencies as well. They've been a big focus for many traders out there as of late. Right now on the Coinbase platform, Bitcoin prices are currently just about off one and three quarters percent, 47,629, the last trade there. And Ether, the Ethereum ecosystem on Coinbase right now, currently down about one and a half percent, 1771, spot 91, the last trade there. Let's stick on that cryptocurrency theme as PayPal's leaders weigh in on that industry and sector. Frank Holland has that and your morning's other top stories. Frank. 
Good morning again, Dom. PayPal CFO telling Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night his company has no interest in buying cryptocurrency. In October, the company announced it would allow users to buy, hold, and sell cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin and Ethereum. PayPal CEO Dan Schulman explained to Jim last night how the company is now approaching crypto. If you look at the way we went into crypto, we tried to do that in a very responsible way. We tried to make it simple and easy for people to understand what they're doing when they get in there. We gave tutorials so that people would have education uh, and would understand what it means to buy, sell and hold uh, crypto. And then we put limits around some of it as well so that people could, you know, ease their way into it before we start to ease some of those limits um, even more. And so we really approach everything from a customer centric perspective. Federal prosecutors have reportedly launched an investigation into potential market manipulation or other criminal misconduct tied to last month's short squeeze stock frenzy. According to The Wall Street Journal, the Department of Justice and the San Francisco U.S. Attorney's Office, they're both seeking info about activity from brokers and social media companies that were at the center of all that action. The journal says that includes issuing a subpoena to Robinhood. And as President Biden works to get a virus stimulus package approved, he's already turning his attention to his next legislative priority. Biden is working to court Republican lawmakers to shore up support for a massive infrastructure package. The plan is expected to be a key component of the president's State of the Union address next month. That's the very latest. Dom? Back over to you. All right, Frank Holland, thank you very much for those headlines. Let's stick with President Biden. He's set to welcome a group of governors and mayors to the White House today to discuss the vital need for virus aid. But the current state of state budgets could undermine some of those efforts, but in a positive way. Elon Moy joins us now with more on that. Elon. Well, that's right, Don. When the pandemic first hit, states were bracing for potentially double-digit declines in revenue, as much as 10 or 20 percent. The good news is that that has not panned out. In fact, 21 states actually saw tax revenues increase between March and December of last year compared to the year before. That's according to an analysis by the Urban Institute. 26 states did see a decline in revenue, but only six said that it fell more than 3 percent. And there are a couple of reasons why things weren't as bad as feared. First, uh, personal income taxes were shored up by the run-up in the stock market. In addition, that federal boost to unemployment insurance, that ended up being taxable. And programs like the PPP helped keep people in their jobs and kept them paying taxes. In addition, sales tax, that got a boost from the stimulus check. Also, remember the Wayfair Supreme Court decision? That allowed states to collect online sales tax, which has helped make up for the decline in spending at brick-and-mortar stores. But all of that could complicate the politics of getting more help from Washington. President Biden has proposed $350 billion in direct relief for state and local governments. Today, he'll be meeting with a bipartisan group of governors and mayors to build support for that. And the House today will also begin debating the details of additional federal relief. So you're going to see state and local Local officials argue that even though tax revenue may have increased in some places, the demands on their spending have increased too. And job now states and cities are the ones who are responsible for making sure that shots can get into arms so that we can all get back to normal. Back to you. I mean, state budgets are such a such a huge focus right now. Can, can we talk about how much, Elon, how much federal money have the states already spent that they've received? 
Yeah, so this is one of the big debates in Washington right now because Republicans say that there's still a lot of money that states can tap into. And in fact, they extended the deadline for how long states have to spend that money through the end of this year. And a lot of the help was also indirect, as we mentioned, taxing unemployment insurance, for example, or through the PPP. What states and cities say they need now, though, is direct aid, money that they can tap directly and that come with fewer strings attached so they can get it to the places that need it most. All right. Elon Moy staying on top of that situation in D.C. for us. Thank you very much. Well, Disney is reporting better than expected results for its fiscal first quarter. The blowout number of that report was the subscriber growth for Disney Plus. That's what we're showing you right now. That platform is now seeing almost 95 million subscribers after launching in November of 2019. When the streaming service was first launched, Disney's subscriber goal was roughly 60 to 90 million by the year 2024. Now, Disney reforecasting that figure to 260 million by the year 2024. For more now on the results, I'm joined by Alexia Quadrani, media analyst at J.P. Morgan. Alexia, I don't even know how to say it because I can't say it without thinking to myself, I I don't believe the numbers. How can you possibly have 260 million subscribers for your service by the year 2024? Well, it's Disney. I mean, Disney's amazing. Um, They have an incredible brand. They have an incredible product and incredible execution, really. Um, I think they priced the uh, product correctly, and they've done a phenomenal job in the rollout. I mean, like you said, 95 million, 14 months after the launch is quite impressive. There's been some scrutiny with regard to to just how much they can actually make with that, given the price point that they are charging. Is this a situation where we can expect to see the price continue to go higher? I know because I'm one of the subscribers. My daughter watches a lot of Disney Plus content. But I'm just assuming that to keep producing WandaVisions, to keep producing things like The Mandalorian and all the other original content, it's going to require that much more money. How much of that is going to come from subscriber fees in the future? Um, Well, you raised a good point about the cost of content is really incredible, but it's incredible across the industry. And I think Disney has the huge benefit that they are a content machine. I mean, think about their box office, right? They have more hits than any other company out there, any other studio out there. They they really dominate the market share in the box office historically when the theaters obviously were open. They do a phenomenal job with content. And so they already have their pipeline of content from their movie studios, which They'll also filter onto the streaming service right now more directly, but eventually, you know, after another window of after the theaters, and then they have the original content they make. And since their hit rate tends to be better than their peers, I'm not saying it takes less money to to really, you know, fill the streaming service, but I think they just have a lot more success, so it's probably a little bit easier. It is expensive. It is a lot of money they're continuing to put into it, a couple billion dollars a year into Disney Plus. Um, but to your original question. And um, they are planning on raising the price on Disney Plus um, next month. Um, so we will see a price hike. And they are a traditional company in the way that they care about profitability. And they will eventually hit profitability. Their break-even rate for this product is, is, is projected for 2024. We actually think it will come sooner. Um, but, yes, they will raise the price slightly. I think it's still a very attractively priced product. Um, and they do put a lot of money into it. Alexia, I mean, you bring up the idea of traditional. Can, can we talk, I mean, over the years, I've read your research reports, many other analysts' research reports on Disney, and we always focused in large parts 
on the theme park operations and, and the other parts of the business at Disney. But it seems like these days the only thing people care about is the streaming numbers. How much of it, how much of the idea of Disney being not just streaming, but also a massive theme park operator is going to be part of the investment thesis as we emerge from COVID? You know, I, I think it's a great question because it is a big company and they have a ton of other businesses that do quite well. Um, I, you know, I, I thought it was interesting last night on the conference call, the questions actually, you know, skewed a little bit more toward the traditional business than we've heard for the last, you know, 12 months. And I think that is um, indicative of the fact, one, the streaming business is becoming slightly more mature in the sense it's up and running and it's up and running smoothly. So there's probably less to nitpick on. Um, and then the second thing is, is as we get to more of a reopening, in the economy, the traditional businesses become back a bit of a focus. Now, you're right, it's 100% focused, um, or I should say 90% focused on the streaming service, and that is the growth engine of the company and will continue to be the focus. But I think the traditional business will become more topical going forward over the next six to 12 months. All right. Alexia Quadrani, thank you very much for those thoughts on Disney. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, coming up on the show, Bumble's big debut and the big payday it's providing for the company's founder. She's reached billionaire status. That and come more coming up in the top trending stories of the day. But first, as we head out to break, some of your other top stories. President Biden planning to sign an executive order addressing the ongoing shortage of computer chips. The White House announcing the order will be signed in the coming weeks. Roblox saying its revenue for the first three quarters of 2020 was higher than previously reported, coming in at nearly $614 million instead of $588 million, as it was previously reported. The company also says now it expects direct listings to take place in March rather than this month. And shares of Bausch Health are rallying this morning after Icon Capital reported a nearly 8% stake in the company. Icon Capital plans to discuss ways to, what else, enhance shareholder value with Bausch Management and the board, including potentially seeking board seats. Those shares up in the pre-market trade, 4.5%. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's check on some of the stocks on the move so far today. Expedia. Down right now after reporting a bigger than expected fourth quarter loss as bookings and revenues fell by nearly 70 percent. CEO Peter Kern says the quarter brought signs of hope in the form of vaccines, but rising covid cases across the world and the rolling shutdowns of some travel markets made a huge impact. He says the environment remains unpredictable, those shares off about one and a quarter percent in the trade. Now, Kern will have more on those results in a first on CNBC interview at 10 a.m. Eastern time, a must watch interview on Squawk on the Street. Well, shares of Affirm Holdings are lower despite the company topping revenue forecasts and issuing an upbeat outlook. The fintech company, which went public last month, lets people pay for purchases in installments. Analysts say the stock move may reflect a more muted performance from the fees business pay Affirm when people use that service. Those shares off 6.5% in the pre-market trade. And then VeriSign is on the rise today. The web infrastructure and domain name registry company reporting better than expected fourth quarter profits and revenues. VeriSign also expanding its share buyback program, bringing it up to an even $1 billion. Those shares up 5% in the pre-market trade. Well, an IPO makes its founder a billionaire. Taylor Swift is releasing new old music. And some very presidential shoes will go on sale today. Frank Holland is here with those trending stories. 
and Frank sneakers. I can't believe they're going to cost that much money. Back over to you. Yeah, it's Dom, you know I'm a sneakerhead. We're going to get to that in a moment. But first, we're going to go to something I actually don't know much about, online dating. Bumble founder and CEO Whitney Wolf heard she's become the youngest self-made female billionaire after a company's trading debut yesterday. At the stock's closing price, Wolf Herd ended the day with a net worth of $1.5 billion, owning about 11.6% of the company's shares, in addition to the billionaire milestone. Wolf Herd is also the youngest female CEO to ever take a company public in the U.S. Her dating app is supposed to be female-focused. A lot of talk about that yesterday during its public debut. All right, some music news. Taylor Swift has released a new version of her song, her 2008 song, Love Story. The release is part of Swift's broader process of re-recording her music so that she can own the rights to her songs after music executive Scooter Braun purchased the rights to Swift's master recordings back in 2019. The full album will be released in April and will feature 26 new versions of her songs. And today, at 4.44 p.m., this very unique pair of Nikes made in honor of President Obama will go on sale. The custom-designed Nike Hyperdunks will be sold on the Sotheby's site for $25,000, and that start time is really a nod to President Obama's status as the 44th president. The sneakers are, only, are one of only two pairs in existence, Dom. But Sotheby's notes that President Obama, he never actually wore the shoes. But still, um, Dom, we talk about sneakers every once in a while. I'm really a big sneakerhead. I actually have, these are my favorite sneakers right here. I've owned about four pairs of these. You I, seem I swear like a, by you these, seem like right a Jordan, Jordan man to me. Yes, you seem like a Jordan man to yes, me. Yes, Jordan 3s. Like, I, I own so many pairs. I would trade all my Jordan 3s for, for those right there. That's like the holy grail. There's only one of two. It's crazy. So, so I'm not a sneaker head. I do, I do like sneakers. But, I mean, these are some, some interesting ones only because of the story that goes along with it, right? I mean, that's what makes a consumer product sometimes more desirable, especially in the aftermarket and in the, in the auction market. Exactly. This idea that they are President Obama sneakers. There's only two out there. What I'm more curious about, Frank, is I'm not a sneaker fan, but I still call them Nikes. Why do you call them Nikes? I don't know. I've just called them Nikes my whole life. <laughs> I think maybe every once in a while I vacillate the Nikes, but I, I really don't know. I'm just Is curious the because maybe the maybe I, are named after Nike. I've been saying him wrong the entire time because I'm not a sneakerhead. I don't know. Maybe I've been I've just been saying it wrong the entire time. So so Nike, if you're I, out there, I please tell whatever me whatever you call it. Yes, please just tell me, Nike. I think whatever, whatever you want to call it, as long as you're buying them, they're happy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like that. Nike, just let me know. Nike, <laughs> Nike, let me know. Frank Holland, thank you very much for those trending stories. We appreciate it. We're right, still on deck Tom. for the show. Stocks looking to close out this week with the win as momentum in the markets appears to be fading at least a little bit. Bank of America's Joseph Quinlan lays out what it'll take to keep the rally going. And if you have not already done so, Please subscribe to our new podcast, Worldwide Exchange, in audio format every day. If you miss us here live on air, check us out on Apple or Spotify, whatever podcast app you choose. Worldwide Exchange, podcasts every day. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Back to the markets right now. Futures indicating a slight pullback from the record highs that we've seen as of late. And your next guest says we remain in the early stages, early stages of a cyclical recovery. I'm joined on the CNBC Newsline right now by Joseph Quinlan, Bank of America's Global Wealth and Investment Management Head of Market and Thematic Strategy. Joe, it's been so long since I've been able to talk to you. I wish we could do it in person, hopefully soon. But how could this be the early stages we're at record highs, and it's been going for like 10 years now. 
Well, Dom, in, in a cyclical sense, if you just look what's coming down the pipeline, you've talked about it all morning, the fiscal stimulus, the monetary stimulus, the vaccine rollout, the service economy is going to come roaring back in the second half of this year. Europe's a laggard now, but that will come as well. So when you, when you kind of look across the board, it makes perfect sense to keep money in the cyclicals, whether it's financials, energy, materials, and industrials. We still have a ways to go here with this rally. So if we have a ways to go, I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be skeptical because I don't know. I, I, I'm one of those people who has mutual funds in a 401k somewhere, and I look at them periodically, and they keep saying that they're going up in value. What exactly is going to be the driver? You mentioned the fiscal side of things, but we're in earnings season right now. But this is like the earnings season over the last couple of months and quarters where I feel like we don't even focus on earnings anymore because everything is COVID and everything is stimulus and everything is monetary policy. When do corporate fundamentals matter again, and will they carry us into that next leg of the bull market? Well, Don, they always matter, the corporate fundamentals. When you look at the operating leverage the corporations are doing right now, and all that's falling to the bottom line, that's going to continue. And what's unappreciated in the markets but comes out in earnings is how well corporate America, even small companies, have managed their way through the last 12 months. It's working from home, increasing their digital capabilities, more automation. Now there's some bottlenecks. You know that, chips, you know, aluminum cans. They're going to pass as well. So we get through the bottlenecks, we continue to increase operating leverage. That's going to be a key driver, kind of a micro bottoms-up sense that keeps this rally going. What are, what are the most important parts of the market right now? We, we, we've always mentioned that it's, you know, mega cap technology, communication services, the FANG type stocks, Facebooks and Alphabets and Apples and that sort of thing. Mathematically, I know why, because they're the biggest weighting in the S&P 500 and NASDAQ. But, but what, what in your mind is going to be the most important part of the market that will kind of drive the next leg of this bull market? Well, Don, there's a lot of a lot of optimism around the green economy. And if you look at the battery metals, you know, whether it's copper, copper nickel, cobalt, uh, electrical vehicles, solar wind, that's got to be backed up by the infrastructure bill that's going to be out there later this year. So if we don't get that, if it gets tied up in Congress, that could be kind of a, a headwind for later on. But there's a lot of optimism. So we're kind of like we're looking at the optimism and looking at the risk at the same time and say, OK, when do we want to be participants in this rally? So I think that's number one. And number two, Got to get the market, the labor, <clears throat> excuse me, the labor market up and running. And, and as I said earlier, the, the bottlenecks, the, the chips, the aluminum cans, that's what we need to work through that. And I think we will work through those bottlenecks and then we're going to see much more upside for earnings. I mean, uh, the infrastructure plan, you brought it up, so I'm going to follow that. The infrastructure plan, I mean, the, the biggest one that we saw in recent memory was the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act in the wake of the great financial crisis. We know people said that that wasn't exactly maybe the most efficient way to get money out there. I can think back to the massive one that was the Eisenhower Interstate Highway System. What kind of infrastructure plan will it take to kind of get that conversation going again? We talk about infrastructure with every presidency, but it rarely ever happens. Yeah, it ra- rarely. You're right, Diamond. We're still going to build that third tunnel between New, New Jersey and New York. Right. That conversation. Yep. Um, this one is going to be different, I hope, because when you talk about the green revolution, the green infrastructure, it's really about how to compete with China. It's really about global competitiveness, whether it's using these technologies to drive a cleaner environment, to drive growth, and really good-paying jobs. So it's going to be more, I think, like the interstate highway. That's the conversation we should be having. That's the conversation when we have, like, talking about, you know, develop an infrastructure bank and issue some long-term bonds, like 50, 100 years. That's the conversation we want to see. And if that happens, then we're really in place to see more upside in this space that's Maybe it's overbought right now, 
but it'd be undervalued if we get the big projects. All right, Joe. So let's let's talk a little bit about maybe a, a balanced amount of pessimism here. What exactly is the biggest worry that you have about what's going to happen and how deep could any pullback really get? The biggest worry, Dom, is we wake up one day and like consumer prices or raw material prices really catch up and we see some real the lights to the eyes of inflation. We've got a whole generation of investors out there. They don't know what inflation is. They don't know what the Fed funds rate can be, actually be. Um, you know, they think of home mortgages, you know, if it's like, if it's not above, if it's above 3%, that's a costly. So to me, the biggest issue is, is overheating a backup in inflation that were, the, surprises the market. And then you've got the Fed back in there talking about tapering. I think that would be a significant headwind. That's, it's something we've got to watch because, as you mentioned, the fiscal monetary stimulus that's coming down the pipeline, it's unprecedented in the last couple of decades. All right. Bank of America's Joseph Quinlan. Thank you very much. Great to get your thoughts, sir. Have a nice holiday weekend. Thanks, Doug. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Markets are indicating a lower open, but just marginally at the opening bell. Squawk Box picks up the coverage. Have a great holiday weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.